All right, I think we'll go ahead and get started. I think uh, there'll be some more people coming in as we go, but um, I want to make sure we have enough time. I am not quite sure that we do have enough time for everything that's in my notes, so we'll see. Um, we are continuing uh, this series we started last Sunday, Making Sense of Forgiveness, and it is based on a book by Brad Hambrick by the same title, Making Sense of Forgiveness, Moving from Hurt Toward Hope, great little book on forgiveness that deals with, uh, I, I think where this book is unique, there's lots of books written uh, about uh, the practice of forgiveness, but I think where this book's unique is he addresses a lot of um, questions or issues that typically don't get addressed, um, some of the complexities of forgiveness. So um, continuing through this book, uh, today we're going to continue as part two of um, really kind of clearing away some misunderstandings about forgiveness. And then in two weeks, um, so next Sunday uh, won't be making sense of forgiveness. It'll be a, a one-off class. Two Sundays from now we'll, we'll come back to this class and start to look a little more uh, directly at what God's forgiveness is and how that relates to our call to forgive as we've been forgiven by God in Christ. So uh, just by way of, actually let me pray and then, and then I'll uh, start into today's material. Our Father in heaven, uh, give us understanding today. Give us wisdom. Help us to grow in relational wisdom, relational intelligence as we seek to uh, forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So that, that principle that you all are aware of, know well from Scripture, that um, as believers we're called to forgive others, as God in Christ has forgiven us. And last week we talked about how forgiveness is difficult because the, the context for needing to forgive is, or even to be receiving forgiveness, is hurt, right? Um, this isn't just some abstract theological uh, discussion we're having. We're talking about um, real relationships where something has, has gone wrong, where there's some kind of conflict that has introduced um, pain into the relationship, hurt into the relationship, confusion, and, and so forth. And so Forgiveness is never easy. Even talking about forgiveness is never easy. Um, forgiveness, we, I mentioned last week, requires wisdom. Requires wisdom. Um, forgiveness can't be reduced to simple rules. And I, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But um, these two things I mentioned that... that um, Forgiveness begins with hurt, and it, it requires wisdom, not rules. Um, let me just, by way of introduction, speak to that issue again of acknowledging that there's hurt. So uh, maybe trying to help a friend work through a, a, an issue of forgiveness. Um, the importance of acknowledging their lived experience, that there's some kind of relational pain there. Um, if we don't take the time to to understand that pain, acknowledge that pain, um, allow them to give voice to that pain, uh, we most likely will not be much help to them. You know, there there will be a lack of trust. Um, they they may resist um, our counsel, even if it's you know biblical. But until that pain is is kind of brought to light. Um, it, it can be difficult to help them. And we see this, this principle or this uh, example, really, of um, acknowledging the other's pain um, when God himself comes to Israel to rescue them from bondage in Egypt. Uh, we read this really uh, um, important statement, Exodus 3.7, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. So even before the Lord initiates everything, you know, that great rescue 
um, that we were presented with in, in Exodus, we hear him um, acknowledging, recognizing, and even naming the, the hurt, the pain, the suffering, the affliction that his people had experienced. And so um, we need to practice relational intelligence alongside um, providing counsel or instruction. It's not enough to just um, have the right words or to be correct in what you say. Um, there's, there's relational wisdom, relational intelligence uh, required. The, the second thing, um, second and last thing by way of introduction, um, forgiveness requires wisdom, not rules. We talked about that a bit last week. Um, I just want to point out, Jesus' disciples wanted rules about forgiveness. You may remember um, Peter coming to Jesus, and we, we find this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Peter comes up to Jesus, and sa- it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? So Peter's saying, look, I need a rule here. Give me a count. What is the maximum number of times that I need to forgive? Um, and Jesus uh, refuses to give Peter that kind of rule. He, he doesn't. Jesus refuses, resists playing that kind of game. Uh, we read Matthew eighteen twenty two. Jesus said to him, "I do not say to you seven times, but seventy seven times." And I, I'm not going to go into everything that uh, is meant there, but just to notice, Jesus says, "Nope, no, no rule for you. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna give you." Wisdom, and there obviously we bring in other passages about forgiveness to to develop that wise approach uh, approach to forgiveness, and and so much of the Bible's teaching about forgiveness is in that realm of wisdom, um, and you know there's um, one statement here about forgiveness that needs to be integrated with another statement over here about forgiveness and another statement over here and wisdom wisdom um, is required so today we're going to continue um, trying to uh, clear away some more confusion about forgiveness some misunderstandings about forgiveness and so the reason being um, confusion misunderstanding about forgiveness um, hinders the practice of forgiveness. So that's, that's part of the reason we're spending these two weeks just kind of uh, clearing away the brush. Today, we're just going to look at two things, um, or two points. Uh, number one, three things we don't need to forgive. And then uh, second, why we shouldn't forgive misinterpretations. So uh, first, and there are handouts if you, if you want one to take notes. Uh, first, three things we don't need to forgive. You know the statement, to someone with a hammer, everything looks like a nail? You, you know that, that statement? Uh, ha- Brad Hambrick, the author, says, you know, there's, he's, he's seen over and over again Christians start learning about the biblical practice of forgiveness, learning about what the Bible says about forgiveness. They get excited and then they start trying to forgive everything that annoys them. You know, they, they have that hammer, forgiveness. And so every, uh, everything in, the, in, the, in their relationships looks like the opportunity for forgiveness. So, for example, you know, somebody chews food too loudly and it gets on our nerves and we say, I forgive you. Or, um, you know, uh, somebody forgets uh, your name. You say, I forgive you. Um, Or there's somebody in the church service who has the sniffles and they refuse to blow their nose and you think, you know what, I'm going to do the gracious thing and forgive you. Well, the thing is, not everything that gets under our skin is a moral issue. You know, not everything that annoys us is a moral issue. Now, chewing food too loudly is, but I know Michelle agrees, I know my son John agrees. No, I'm kidding. Um, Important principle. We forgive sin, we excuse mistakes, and we overlook quirks. 
So the, the big thing there is we forgive sins. That, that's important. We forgive sins. We excuse mistakes. We overlook quirks. So when the Bible talks about forgiveness, the, the context, it, it connects forgiveness with sin. So we think of God's forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he, speaking of God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess what? If we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins. So God's forgiveness, context, is sins. Even uh, human forgiveness, Luke 17, 3 and 4, uh, Jesus says, If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Uh, the point that I'm making from these verses is Jesus says, if your brother sins, forgive. Not if your brother uh, just really annoys you. <laughs> um, now, maybe sometimes the pre- annoying somebody could be uh, a sinful um, uh, action, um, but... Just think of it more broadly. You know, just somebody doing something that you don't necessarily care for is not necessarily sin. Uh, If you want, you know, a a real robust definition and discussion of sin, I suggest you go look at the Westminster Larger Catechism, uh, question number 24 for a definition of sin, and then the Catechism's exposition of the Ten Commandments. You will wonder how you ever live a second of the day without sinning. Um, but I'm not going to get into those right now. Um, okay, so this principle, we forgive sin, we excuse mistakes, we overlook quirks. Um, what happens when we use forgiveness as, as a hammer, you know, as a, as a tool to resolve any and all relational annoyances? Um, a few things happen. Uh, one, we might become demanding. So we might become the type of person who sees our preferences, so our non-moral preferences, um, as the standard for everyone else. And, and not just a preferential standard, but, but it tends to become a, the moral standard for everyone else. And so we become demanding. Everyone else must conform to my preferences, otherwise they are in sin. And if I'm feeling nice that day, I'll forgive. Um, So we can become demanding. Uh, Second, we we can become self-righteous. We, you know, if if we see, you know, all of these kinds of annoying things as as moral issues and, and we're constantly extending forgiveness, we can start to feel like, we do a whole lot more forgiving than we do um, needing to be forgiven. And so we're kind of this, you know, we're the, the, the Christian who's got it together. And, and we live by such a, a high standard and all these other uh, schmucks just don't know what they're doing. And I constantly have to, you know, extend mercy and, and grace. We can become self-righteous. You know, the Pharisee in, in Jesus uh, that Jesus talks about, I thank God that I'm not like these other people. Um, we can become demanding. We can become self-righteous. We can become arrogant and judgmental, so related to the, the first two. We, we can become arrogant and judgmental. Um, the way this could play out is we have this um, an increasingly negative view of other people, so they're always messing up. What is wrong with them? Why, why are they like this? Um, so we need, to be, we need to think clearly about this, that we forgive sins, we excuse mistakes, we can overlook quirks. So three things we don't need. Let, let's just dive into this a little more. Three things we don't need to forgive. Uh, number one being human weakness. So, for example, uh, examples of human weakness uh, being clumsy, being a slow reader, um, the degenerative effects of aging, so maybe a, you know your memory starts to go, um, limitations due to physical illness or injury, 
that, that's not sinful. Um, a child's immaturity, not necessarily sinful. Um, an adult's immaturity probably is sinful. Um, <laughs> all right, so, so human weaknesses. Those are just some examples. You can think of more. We don't forgive, we don't need to forgive human weaknesses because they are not moral in nature. Um, so a proper perspective on, on weaknesses, and, uh, and I'm thinking more of, you know, as me, as looking at others' weaknesses. Um, proper perspective. They might be, those weaknesses might be frustrating, but they're not sinful, necessarily. Uh, uh, maybe, you know, I'm not going to explore this. How, you know, a weakness could perhaps be... Um, uh, demonstrated in conjunction with some sinful things. But, you know, being clumsy is not sinful, okay? And um, because these things, these weaknesses are not moral, uh, they don't require forgiveness. They don't require forgiveness. So what would be an appropriate response to human weakness? Uh, Let me give you a few things here. Uh, One would be, Humility, recognizing that this other person's weakness might not be your weakness, but you also have weaknesses. Um, Humility, gentleness, uh, patience, um, bearing with each other. You know that that those are just Ephesians four two. Those are some ways that we can respond to human weakness. Another. Uh, Colossians 3.2, or 3.12. Compassion. Compassion. Recognizing that we all are in this boat of um, human beings, uh, sons and daughters of Adam, who have been um, affected by the fall, who we ourselves um, have been affected by the fall, who are weak, who are not whole, um, who have various shortcomings and so forth. And so compassion, um, replacing annoyance with concern, uh, Christian concern about how the effects of aging, for example, on, on someone's memory must make life difficult for them. You know, we tend to just think of how it affects us. Well, it annoys me. I have to tell them the same thing over and over again. Um, but, you know, flip it around and think, wow, it must be really frustrating for them to, to just forget those kinds of things and really struggle to keep certain details straight in their mind. So compassion. And then third, um, offering assistance. <laughs> rather than complaining, rather than being annoyed, how can I help this person um, with their weakness? So in other words, I mean, you could sum that all up and just say... Uh, um, Practicing Christian character and virtue <laughs> is an appropriate response to human weakness. Um, let me, there's a relational benefit to putting human weakness in a proper category, that it's, it's weakness, it's not moral, it's not a sin issue. Uh, the relational benefit, Brad Hambrick says, is friends should be able to discuss the impact that each other's weaknesses have on the other. Taking these conversations out of the moral sphere decreases the sense of shame commonly associated with our weaknesses. We're often very afraid to even acknowledge or discuss our weaknesses because we're afraid of that sledgehammer of judgment coming down on us. But he says, you know, if we take it out of that moral sphere, uh, we might more easily be able to discuss these weaknesses. And he says, one of the most trust-building aspects of any relationship is the freedom to acknowledge our weaknesses and be loved anyway. So if we, you know, resist the urge to judge those weaknesses as sinful defects and instead we look at them as weaknesses that, that call for compassion and patience and so forth, we might actually be strengthening um, our relationships because now these, this relationship is, is a place where these things can be acknowledged and discussed and yet... Uh, it doesn't create conflict, or at least the conflict gets resolved when there's conflict. Um, becomes a, a a place where 
I can be honest about myself, my weaknesses, my shortcomings, and know that this person is still going to love me as a brother in Christ. Um, so I have an at-home exercise for you. Um, you know, maybe maybe you should think about having a conversation with a spouse, a roommate, a sibling, maybe it's a friend, and um, confess how you've treated um, a weakness, or a potential weakness even, as a moral issue. How maybe you've judged them unfairly, gotten angry unfairly, and um, commit to replacing that anger and judgment with with patience and compassion and, and the other things we talked about. Something to consider. All right, so the first thing we don't need to forgive, human weakness. Second, um, differences in personality or temperament or perspectives. Um, let me give you some examples of just uh, different kinds of personalities, temperaments, so forth. Um, an extroverted person versus an introverted person. Um, optimism versus pessimism. An adventurous person versus a cautious uh, personality. Um, somebody who's a concrete thinker versus somebody who's an abstract thinker. Um, somebody who is um, uh, just bound to a schedule and somebody who's more of a free spirit and just kind of goes with the flow. Um, talkative person versus a quiet person. Um, those, those things are not in and of themselves sinful. You know, all, all of us might see ourselves in one or more of um, these, these characterizations. Uh, we might see ourselves as a blend of some of these things. Um, these personalities or temperaments or perspectives, whatever you want to call them, they are not necessarily or inherently sinful. Now, extroversion probably is sinful, but... <laughs> yeah, I knew Elise would be with me. I, I'm joking. Extroversion is not sinful. Um, Introversion probably often is. No. Uh, all right. These things are just, they're personalities. And um, it, they, you know, it's part, when they're rightly functioning and we're rightly responding to all these different personalities, it's part of what makes the human community so interesting is that diversity. Um, obviously, like the weaknesses, they, they can become... Um, opportunities for being annoyed or misunderstanding or, or whatever, but not inherently sinful. That what should be what's a proper perspective on these things? Um, they're they're simply personality differences. Um, they certainly can impact relationships um, in different ways. They're not inherently moral, and therefore this shouldn't come as a surprise. Therefore, they don't require forgiveness. Um, so if if you are a rather kind of reserved person who um, doesn't feel the need to be talking frequently and, and you're even pretty happy to um, just kind of listen, you know, if you're in a group, um, just kind of listen to the conversation, take it in, maybe once in a while throw in, you know, your, your two cents, um, you do not need to look at the, the talkative person in the group and think, whew, they're just so full of themselves and they love the sound of their own voice and I wish they would just shut up and, man, why couldn't they be more like me? I mean, look at me here doing the Christian thing, letting other people speak and not um, drawing attention to myself. Um, maybe those things are true, but... Just the mere fact that they're a, a more talkative person um, and you are not does not mean uh, forgiveness is required. So rather than trying to forgive personality differences, what would be an appropriate response? Um, I, I mentioned already appreciation, uh, learning from those other personalities, 
Um, those of you who are married and maybe have been married for um, some time, you've probably realized that you and your spouse are, are different in certain ways. No doubt that has caused some friction at times, but it can also be a learning opportunity. Maybe um, you've learned from your spouse's personality and it's changed um, your own personality in some ways. So appreciation, learning, uh, cooperation, the, the differences can really complement each other. Um, you know, if, if the whole world was introverted, that would be a problem. <laughs> if the whole world was extroverted, <laughs> that would probably be a problem. Um, the differences can actually make a, a um, can co- complement each other. And then um, just one more about appropriate response. Just humbly navigating those differences. So it's kind of related to the learning issue. Iron sharpening iron, Proverbs 18 or 27, 17. Um, you know, we, we each can kind of learn from the strengths of, of the other. Um, what's the relational benefit to taking personality differences out of the realm of, of sin and more morality? Um, two things. We resist the temptation to idealize one particular personality type. So, you know, you all laughed when I said, well, extroversion probably is sinful, or no, maybe introversion is sinful. Because we tend to take our own, you know, if, if you are, you know, if you would see yourself as an extrovert or, or an introvert, we tend to idealize our own personality type. You know, the the most reasonable, mature, sophisticated personality is the one that I happen to have. And, um, and, and you may be thinking, the one you have is, is the ideal personality. Um, and the reality is there, there is no ideal personality. Um, the, the second relational benefit is that taking this out of the, the realm of morals opens the door to appreciating the, the multitude of ways Christ-likeness can be exemplified through different personalities. Um, you just, we can start to appreciate how um, you know, extroverts, I, I'm just picking on that, that dichotomy, extroverts can exemplify and embody Christ-likeness in really unique and amazing ways, and introverts likewise can embody and, and exemplify Christ-likeness in very unique and interesting ways. And our, our uh, community as, as a church or a family or whatever is enriched, can be enriched, by those differences. So, so that would be a, a relational benefit. Um, I'll give you, real quick, um, another at-home exercise. Um, maybe today, tomorrow, sometime this week, you know, think about what, what your per- I maybe try to identify one aspect of your personality um, or your general tendencies. And, and think about, you know, your relationships, family, friends, whatever, where maybe you've measured the other person's moral success or failure based on how closely they align with your personality. And um, instead of instead of holding them to that standard, maybe identify ways the other person, through their unique personality, exemplifies aspects of Christ-likeness. So trying to think about those differences um, differently as um, not moral, but um, maybe perhaps unique ways Christ-likeness is being demonstrated. And and perhaps, you know, moving beyond just the, the thinking exercise to actually commending them for the way you see them exemplifying Christ-likeness. All right. need to go through this one um, fairly quickly. The, the third thing we don't need to forgive. Attempting to do something and failing. Um, let me give you some examples of attempting to do something and failing. Um, you have a friend that could use a meal provided for them, and so you set out to cook something you've never prepared before, and it turns out terrible. You burn it, or, or it just, you know, you put too much salt, or, or whatever. 
Uh, you tried to do this nice thing for your friend, and you flopped. Um, another example. You give your spouse a gift, and you think, oh, you know, I'm just really just so excited to give this, this gift to them, and then it turns out they already have that item. Maybe that could be sinful. You pay no attention to your spouse, and you know nothing about them. But um, in this case, let's just say it was a mistake. Um, another one. You try to fix the hole in the drywall at home, and you end up making it worse, and you have to call in a professional <laughs> to, to complete the repair. Uh, last example, your teenage son or daughter attempts to parallel park, and they end up bumping the other car and uh, putting a little dent in the other car. Uh, never happens, right? Um, Okay, so those are some examples of attempting to do something and failing. Um, So if we're not supposed to see these things as moral failures, uh, how should we view them? Proper perspective. Um, Really, it's just a matter of saying, yeah, these things might be disappointing. Okay, I might be disappointed that my teenage son... Uh, dented another car, and now we have to you know, work that out, either through insurance or, or whatever. I might be disappointed. Um, I don't need to berate them for being such a failure and dishonoring me and, or whatever, and I'm going to forgive you now, um, as long as you do all your penance and, and so forth. They tried to do something. They tried to park, parallel park, how many adults do so well at parallel parking? Not that many. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's possible to be disappointed, but that disappointment isn't necessarily an indication of, of moral failure on, on the other person's part. And, and therefore, no forgiveness needed. Maybe a discussion about... Um, parking, maybe some, some training <laughs> in parallel parking, maybe uh, doing some more work at home to pay off the, <laughs> the cost of getting the other person's vehicle fixed, but not necessarily forgiveness. Um, what would be an appropriate response? Uh, this is interesting. I, I, I like that Hambrick brings this out. Uh, he begins with affirmation and encouragement. Now, that might sound strange. The person messed up. The person failed. Why would I affirm them? Why would I encourage them? Well, he says, attempting to do, it, do a good thing and failing should still be viewed as a good thing. It is at least two steps ahead of attempting to do a bad thing and failing and one step ahead of being passive. So the positive, the upside of this is, hey, they tried to, they took initiative. They tried to do something. They Maybe they were trying to learn something new, and it, it just didn't work out this time. That, that's actually a good thing. Um, like he says, it's better than trying to do a bad thing, and it's, and it's even ahead of the curve of, try, of just being passive and doing nothing. Um, freedom to fail, he says, is, important, is an important part of any healthy relationship. And so if, if attempts to do a good thing and failing are viewed as, as moral issues, and, and therefore, you know, forgiveness is always being applied. It creates an atmosphere where people are afraid to try things. Because if I, if I don't get this exactly right, if, if this is, you know, uh, not quite perfect, that sledgehammer <laughs> is going to come down on me. And, and that doesn't create an environment where people are, are, um, willing to try things, um, where people are, um, feel freedom, feel like they're valued, appreciated, so forth. So um, I'm going to skip the at-home exercise for this one. Um, I, I could give it to you later. Uh, so th- three things we don't need to forgive. Human weakness, um, differences in personality or temperament, and then attempts to do something good and, and not succeeding, failing. Um, 
we don't need to practice forgiveness. We can be gracious, we can be patient, we can be compassionate, so forth, but they are not sin issues. All right, so I'm gonna, I need to get to this second point, uh, why we shouldn't forgive misinterpretations. Um, let me say, this point might take some time to sink in. And so uh, we're going to walk through it step by step, and it may even require continued um, contemplation on your part. Let's put it that way. It might raise some questions. I encouraged you last week, you know, send some questions to me and Craig if they come up, and we will try to work in answers as we go along. Um, but we sh- why we shouldn't forgive misinterpretations. So let me lay out um, the scenario, and, and Hambrick provides three scenarios. And each of these scenarios involves two people. Um, one feels hurt by the other, um, but listen carefully to the reason why they feel hurt. So scenario one, a husband feels hurt because his wife, quote-unquote, disrespected him. That, that's his interpretation of, of something that happened. His wife disrespected him when she asked a question about a decision. She genuinely didn't understand the decision because he did not adequately explain it. So that's scenario one. Uh, Scenario two. A wife feels hurt when her husband, quote, failed to pursue her. So again, that's the label she gave to his action. Uh, He failed to pursue her when his plans for their anniversary did not measure up to her expectations which she had never told him about. Uh, Scenario three. Friend A feels hurt when friend B is, quote, unwilling to invest in the relationship, end quote. But investing means matching the unhealthy, excessive commitment friend A gives to the relationship. So, uh, and I'm going to come back to these scenarios, so we'll, we'll explore them a little more. But in each of these cases, the, the person feeling hurt might assume that the Christian thing to do is to forgive. Um, why would, and, and I'm saying this is the case, um, why would forgiveness not necessarily be the God-honoring response in these scenarios? That's just something to think about. Um, why might offering forgiveness in these particular scenarios, might, why might that not actually be the Christian response, the wise, healthy, um, biblical response? Um, in these scenarios which I'm going to flesh out a little more, Um, offering forgiveness would actually be harmful to both both parties. Um, Let me me try to flesh this out. In each scenario, the hurt person, or the, the, let me back that up. In each scenario, the hurt being forgiven, and I'm saying forgiven with quotes because this is a misuse of forgiveness. The hurt being forgiven was based on a misinterpretation. Um, the first scenario, the husband who feels disrespected. Um, the, the husband in this case communicated poorly, leaving his wife confused. And he wrongly interprets her question seeking clarification. That's, that's what she's after, just I don't understand this. Can you help me understand? He wrongly interprets the mere fact that she asked a question as disrespect. So there's a misinterpretation there. And there, there's more, actually more, to the, more there, which I'll, I'll, I'll mention in a moment. Scenario two, with the wife who feels hurt, says her husband uh, is not pursuing her, not really taking the relationship seriously um, because what he planned for their anniversary didn't, um, it's not what she wanted. Um, In this scenario, this is an important detail. The wife never communicated her expectations to her husband. 
And so she wrongly attributed fault to her husband for not meeting her unspoken expectations. So there is a, a breakdown, a failure of communication there. Now, I, I'm just going to add a caveat. There could be scenarios where a wife has made her expectations known over the course of many years and her husband just consistently ignores those things. And so there could be a scenario where, hey, you know, you, you planned this, this date, this anniversary thing, and just totally ignored, you know, what would make me feel loved yet again. And so that could be, a, that's a different scenario. I'm not talking about that here. I'm just talking about these unspoken expectations that weren't communicated. Uh, the third scenario, the two friends. Um, friend B's, the one who feels like the other friend's not investing in the relationship. Friend B's definition of investing in a relationship is actually distorted and unreasonable. So they're using kind of uh, Christianese language. You know, I want you to invest in this relationship. But what they mean by that is something that's just... Um, would not be healthy, would not be um, even sustainable. And so um, friend B's interpretation of friend A's lack of commitment to the relationship, their, their interpretation is very skewed because they're operating, on a, operating with a, a very distorted picture of what it means to, to be in a relationship with someone. I'm not talking about reasonable expectations of what investing in a relationship is, okay? Um, that's the scenario, those are some of the scenarios where misinterpretations come up and forgiveness is not necessarily the, the wise biblical relational method or a strategy or whatever you want to call it for working through this this difference. Uh, what is the danger of practicing forgiveness in the context of misinterpretations? Uh, Hambrick says, forgiving a misinterpretation further reinforces the inaccurate perception. So it just kind of cements the wrong thinking in the per- in the the person's uh, mind. And, and let me show you, uh, or, or actually I'll, I'll let Brad Hambrick show you here. Uh, I'm just going to quote what he says about each of these three scenarios. So scenario one, the husband who feels disrespected. If the, hub, if the husband says he forgives his wife, he would be under the continuing misconception that his communication about decisions was adequate and anything that aggravated his insecurities was disrespectful. So he just kind of steamroll, you know, he, he makes a decision, doesn't really talk about it, doesn't really explain his thinking, and just goes ahead with it. And the wife's left thinking, oh, I wonder why he did that. And he, you know, unloads on her, you're so disrespectful. You, you just, you know, you don't trust me. You don't, whatever. Um, if, if he said, I forgive you for questioning, asking a question, and the wife receives that forgiveness, that husband potentially is just going to be further confirmed in his idea that this woman is, is just, she's a piece of work. Um, scenario two, if the wife says, so this is the wife who, who doesn't feel like her husband's pursuing her. If the wife says she forgives her husband, she would continue to believe that a truly loving husband would intuitively know what his wife desires and that anything that disappointed her would be a sign that he wasn't pursuing her. So again, it, it just kind of confirms, if, if forgiveness is the, the route that these issues are addressed, it just kind of confirms for her that he should just know what I'm thinking. And, and if he doesn't, um, then he doesn't love me. Um, scenario three, the two friends. The friend would believe their excessive attention to their, to their other friend was the Christ-like standard for selfless sacrifice and that everyone else should match their unsustainable level 
of involvement in the life of others. So friend B is the one who has a you know distorted idea of what investing is. They you know they send like 30 different text messages to you throughout the day, and because you didn't respond immediately, they think you're not investing in the relationship. Now, if if they come to you and say, hey, you know you didn't respond to my texts right away. It took you like six hours to get back to me, and you know what? I forgive you for not investing in the relationship. It's just going to make them think, well, yeah, I mean, sending 30 text messages in one single day and expecting immediate responses is like, that. that's the way Christians do things. That, that, that shows love. That shows concern, um, which is not the case. And um, forgiveness here could actually be very destructive uh, to the relationship. So um, the danger... Forgiveness is an act that possesses a, a considerable amount of moral weight. You know, when, when I say to somebody, I forgive you, I'm saying that, that what they did um, was not just uh, bad, or, or maybe a better way to put it is, I'm not simply saying, well, you did something, I, I, I would have preferred that you had done it a different way. I, I'm not just talking about preferences. I'm saying, when I say I forgive you, I'm saying what you did was wrong. It, it transgressed God's moral law. It was a failure to love your neighbor as yourself, or, or you know, many different ways that could be put. But it's, it's a, a wrong, not just a mistake. And so, uh, again, I'm just going to kind of walk through this a little bit. Again, if, if the moral assessment we made of the other person's action, if, if that assessment we made was wrong, incorrect, inaccurate, um, if that assessment was wrong, then forgiving mischaracterizes God's assessment of the situation. So if we're saying, I, I need to forgive you for this, you sinned, against me. Um, we're saying that that's the way God views this, that this person sinned and is in need of forgiveness. But if, if we're basing our assessment on a, um, a wrong way of viewing the situation, then, then we're, we're wrong, number one, and we're conveying to the other person actually, that, that God is on our side, and, and you need to get in line. Um, let, let me, f- or, you know, Hambrick adds some other detail. Just that first scenario. We won't go through all three. The, the, that first scenario, the, the husband who feels disrespected, um, the husband forgives his wife, so-called forgives his wife, um, but the wife, just to imagine how this would play out, but the wife expresses to her husband, that she doesn't believe that she sinned against him, and therefore, you know, th- this isn't a, a for- confess and forgive type um, situation. But the husband, you know, is convinced that she sinned, and the husband therefore believes that both God and the Bible are on his side. And so when his wife tries to engage in conversation about this this incident um, and expresses, I'm not so sure that I, that I sinned. The husband thinks, well, now she not only disrespected me, now I need to confront her about her hard heart and resistance to my forgiveness. And so his misinterpretation, his wrong assessment of what happened actually just creates kind of a snowball effect, um, adding more conflict to um, this situation. And uh, Hambrick says the misinterpretation, just by continuing to offer forgiveness over this misinterpretation, it becomes increasingly impenetrable. So the husband thinks, I mean, I confronted my wife. I said, you sinned against me. She said, okay, I sinned against you. And I forgave her, and he just becomes, the more that happens, he just, he starts to develop just kind of a permanent misinterpretation of his spouse um, and her responses to him. And Hambrick says this is a form of manipulation. 
whether it's intentional or not. It's a form of, of manipulation. And um, it harms the relationship. It's very destructive. So what is missing? We talked about the scenarios. We talked about the danger. What is missing from these scenarios? Um, one key thing that's missing is uh, a neglect of the relational principles laid out in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. If you want to turn there for a moment, um, we're just, I'm, I'll read the verses and then just say a couple things. But um, the principles of Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Uh, and this is kind of the key here. 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is, a, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, last week I talked about how sometimes we jump to Matthew 7 too quickly when when a friend comes to us and says, you know, I'm really hurt by something somebody did and, and I think I need to forgive them. And we might, you know, immediately go to Matthew 7. Well, how did you sin? And let's just focus on your, uh, your contribution. And, and in that way, we kind of circ- we, we skip over the need to hear, hear them out, understand the situation, um, let them express their hurt and find out whether, you know, they really have been sinned against um, and and haven't really contributed in some way that caused that. So um, with that said, there is a place for Matthew 7. Um, the, the neglect in these scenarios is the neglect of practicing healthy self-awareness. Um, you know, the, these individuals have failed to just kind of stop and, and ask themselves um, some Simple questions just to to maybe get a more accurate perspective on on the conflict. Questions like, am I assuming motives? You know, that, that would have been really helpful for the husband to ask himself, right? When his wife came and said, could you, I, I don't understand this decision. Could you help me? Um, you know, he should have asked himself, you know, he, he hears that as disrespect, disrespect, disrespect. Um, but is that really the case? Am I just assuming that that's her, that's her motivation for the question? Um, do I really see this situation accurately? Um, am I jumping to conclusions? It's related to assuming motives. Um, you know, going back to that husband again. Um, you know, just stopping and, and asking, did I did I talk through the decision with my wife before making it, or or did I just kind of plow ahead with what I wanted to do and, and left her in the dark? Um, you know, just stopping and, and kind of replaying that you know that um, mo- that movie of what happened in your mind and thinking, maybe I really didn't talk through it with her and and me kind of you know just immediately assuming she's being disrespectful is, is quite contrary to, to the facts of the matter. Um, so there was a neglect of practicing healthy self-awareness, um, recognizing, for example, that um, knowing myself and knowing that um, typically or very often when someone comes to me and, and questions, and I don't mean in a, in a rude or belligerent or condescending matter. When someone comes to me and, and just asks for clarification about something I said or did, my tendency, my temptation is to just kind of see it as an attack. And so my, my tendency is to misinterpret what's actually going on. They may just simply say, I didn't hear you, or um, I misunderstood something you said. Could you just kind of clarify it and instead but I'm seeing it as they are coming after me they they are trying to hurt me um, whatever but knowing yourself 
is, is quite important. Um, self-awareness. Hembrick says, a biblical principle or practice can be destructive when it's not applied appropriately. And in this case, we're talking about misapplying forgiveness. Taking things that are not moral, taking misinterpretations, putting them in the, the moral realm, and then saying to the other person, you know, you, you have sinned against God and your fellow man, and you need, to, you need to receive forgiveness now. When in fact, they were just asking a question. Um, it, you know, that misapplication of forgiveness can be destructive. And let me give you a, uh, Hambrick just says it so well. It's, it's a le- somewhat lengthy uh, quote, just a couple sentences. Um, Self-awareness is an essential component of applying the scriptures to our life and relationships as God intended. If we do not see ourselves or the situation accurately, we will not apply the Bible rightly to our life or our situation. We end up applying the Bible to a figment of our imagination. That is what is happening in each situation above. Forgiveness becomes a way that the husband or wife or friend tries to force the other person to live in their, quote, alternate reality. So um, I'm not going to read it again, but uh, I I think he's quite right in this. Um, What would be an appropriate response? We're almost done here. Uh, What would be an appropriate response if you're on the receiving end of unhealthy forgiveness? Uh, Two things. Uh, Number one, show empathy. Number two, invite the other person to reconsider their interpretation. And I'm just going to go through these quickly. Um, The first one, empathy. Obviously, the person who extended unhealthy forgiveness to you um, is hurting. Some way, somehow, even though they had a misinterpretation, even though they maybe were just you know, lacking self-awareness and so assumed something that was not true, they are hurting. Their interpretation is wrong, but their experience of hurt is real. And so if you just, um, if you maybe don't acknowledge that, um, their, wrong, their wrong interpretation of you may actually be reinforced. They'll say, ah, see, they're just so proud and self-righteous and, and whatnot. Of course I was right. Of course it was disrespect. Um, so the first is to actually show some empathy. You know, you know I, I think they're wrong here, but they really are struggling with feeling hurt by this. And I'm going to acknowledge that, but I'm not going to leave it there. The second step, um, second response Invite the other person to reconsider their interpretation. And there's some deliberate language here. Invite, reconsider. So it's not um, aggressively demand that they adopt your perspective on the situation. Um, You know, if you just, you come in, guns blazing, you are, you know, you're in one of those legal movies where the lawyer makes this, you know, airtight case, um, presenting all the the rock solid evidence. The other person, um, it, they're gonna, it's gonna become a debate, or the other person's just gonna simply walk away. Um, instead, invitation to reconsider. Um, that's an invitation to a dialogue. Um, instead, we're, we're seeking to have an honest but caring, respectful dialogue. Um, we should actually invite the other person to, to talk, tell us about how they've understood what happened. We want to hear from them. Um, this is the self-awareness part. Maybe we've actually missed something in our experience of this whole conflict uh, maybe we actually have forgotten something. Maybe we missed something, and, and getting that dialogue going may actually inform us about something we forgot that actually changes um, the situation. Um, maybe not. Um, so Hambrick provides this example. 
I don't think actually like reading these sentences to someone would be very effective, but just they express the sentiment. Um, I'm very sorry that you're hurt. I'm not sure I understand yet. Not sure I understand yet why my response or action was wrong. Um, I appreciate your desire to handle this situation with repentance and forgiveness. But, and notice this is a request, not a demand. But can we walk back through what happened to assess what should have happened and what reasonable expectations or responses um, should have been? So again, if you, if you like went to your spouse or your friend and just read that, they'd think you're crazy. Um, <laughs> but, but the sentiment there, hey, can we talk? I, I, I don't understand yet. I'm totally willing or want to be willing <laughs> to confess and repent uh, and seek forgiveness for, for wrongdoing. I, I don't quite see my actions that way yet, but I, I'm very open to hearing more from you. Let's talk through this. Let's get clarity. Let's let you know. Maybe right now, both of us, you know, our our internal threat alarm system is just kind of, you know, uh, raging right now, and there's all these emotions with within us that might be clouding some of, um, uh, might be making it difficult to understand what actually happened. Let's kind of calm down. Let's walk it back. Let's talk. That, that's what this invitation. Is now, I'll end with this. Um, that invitation to reconsider it could go one of two ways. Uh, the first outcome could be the other person is open to dialoguing, and so that's an opportunity for you both to learn and grow. Um, it's possible that as you as you talk through this, that um, both I well I should say it's possible that either one of you or both of you might discover a need for repentance and forgiveness. Um, so that, that, that's one possible outcome. This, the second possible outcome is the other person gets defensive or aggressive. So you come with this invitation to, hey, I'm not quite sure I understand. Let's, let's talk some more. Other person, you know, it's just those, those uh, defenses go up very quickly. They don't want to, um, you know, one decision you have to make is, does this situation warrant further discussion? You know, maybe it's actually not even something all that important and, and you can move on. I don't know. Um, but if it does require further discussion, um, one possible response, and again, this is, this is, don't use these exact words, but, um, I don't think it's good for either of us if I accept your forgiveness without understanding how I was wrong. So you're not saying you won't accept forgive, you won't confess, you won't repent, but you're saying right now it's just not clear to me, and so we can't move ahead with that step yet. There, there needs to be more clarity. I don't think it's good for either of us if I accept your forgiveness without understanding how I was wrong. Here's another request. Would you be willing to meet with someone we both trust to help us figure this out? So there's, you know, in a sense, you're holding out an olive branch. I, I'm not, not sure this would be healthy, but I'm willing to sit down with you and a third party who could help us work through this. So you're not saying, I'm done with you, but you're saying, let's, let's try to work on this. And I, I'm not going to go through, you know, what the outcome of that request could be. But misinterpretations are sticky, okay? And um, we might think, well, when there's conflict, the, the immediate response should just be, you know, forgive and forget. And I, I told you in the future we'll talk about forgive and forget. But forgive and forget is not necessarily... Um, wise, not necessarily even the right course of action at that point in these situations. And so back to what I said last week and began with this week, forgiveness requires what? You can talk, it's okay. Wisdom. Forgiveness requires 
wisdom. And so we, we talked about three things we don't need to forgive, weaknesses, personality differences, uh, attempts to do something and failing. And we talked about why um, forgiving misinterpretations can actually create a, a just a, it, it can do more damage than good to a, a relationship. So I know there's probably all kinds of questions you have. And I've kept you five minutes over, so I can't stick around right here to answer them. We could talk afterwards if you've got questions. Also, again, I'll throw it out there. Uh, email me and Craig with questions if you've got them. And, and we can try to work in some, we can try to address those as we go on in the class. Um, let me pray and then you'll be dismissed. Our Father in heaven, um, we want to be Christ-like in our relationships. We, we do want to be people of grace who uh, forgive as we have been forgiven, and we want to do it wisely. We want to do it in a way that um, honors you, uh, in a way that does good to our friends and neighbors. Would you help us to grow in uh, the wisdom of forgiveness? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.